Eat, drink, smoke, where we eat the fine food, drink the fine bourbon, smoke the fine cigars. Tony Katz, good to be with you. That's Fingers Malloy, Smoker's Choice in Brownsburg. Now, this is because places are finally opening up in this ridiculous coronavirus world. I don't think coronavirus is ridiculous. I think it's a virus. I think people get sick from it. I think people have died from it. But the numbers that we look at and we see are failing to properly categorize where the deaths come from. The closings that we see are of absolute no use. And the science is what proves that. Not because I say so, not because I'm anti-science, not because somehow I think people should get hurt, not because I'm yearning for a haircut. That's the best one. You just want a haircut. That's, that's why you want open th- things to open up. Not because I think that the person who cuts hair should be able to feed their kids. No, that's completely inconsequential. And we're going to get into that elitist kind of thing. That latest article from Peggy Noonan in the Wall Street Journal is just, I'm so glad that she understands the problem. The, the problem is not enough other people do. So uh, here in Indianapolis, in the, in the general central Indiana area, uh, Smoker's Choice is one of the places that has just been able to get open back up. And they've got actually two locations, uh, smokerschoicecigarbar.com, gracious enough to let us in the door and hang out. And actually, there's another uh, cigar lounge owner in here from uh, in Indianapolis. Here's what's crazy. So, so this is in a different county. This is in Hendricks County. And Hendricks County, they can be open. But in Marion County, where the capital in Indianapolis is, nope. Nope, you can't be open. Then you can have outdoor seating. And the outdoor seating still has to be separated by social media, uh, social distancing rules. Unless, of course, you don't have outdoor seating, in which case you can apply for a permit. But good news, they'll expedite the permitting process. <laughs> the, on, yeah, you have to break that down to realize how ugly this is. And I think this is where we're going today. Because we've got a lot of these kinds of, of, of ugly stories and really this, this total lack of connection to, to where society is versus where those people who are still getting a paycheck are. And I'm going to get to that in a second, but we start, of course, w- with, with the drink. And we've, been, we've, we've tried some, some blends. We, we've, we've done the Seagrams in, in, in the most recent, which was pretty fantastic. <laughs> Fingers has finished it, by the way. Uh, this is Jefferson's very small batch. So Jefferson's very small batch. You know Jefferson's Ocean, uh, things like that. This is a blend of four Kentucky straight bourbons. The proof on this is just 82.3. This is easy, easy sipping uh, stuff. You can probably this probably about $33, $35 a bottle, depending on where you, you, you get uh, your stuff. It's going to give you a nose of vanilla and corn. It's going to be uh, sweet on, on the palate with a bit of uh, oak. And it's going to be just a, a quick finish, right? So I think one of the things we got to start looking at over the next couple of podcasts is things that people can afford to do. Right. Because I don't know if you've had a job or not, and I still want you to be able to enjoy. So I have never done this. I've never. Have you ever done the no. very small batch? No. It's actually sweeter than I thought. It's not medicinal. A little sugar cookie? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's actually a good call. Yeah, very, very much so. So we do it neat, and then we have a... A side cube. So you ready? You here's here's this? mud in your eye. Is that what we say? I, I guess. All right. All right. Mm. It's funny. It's medicinal on the palate, at least for me. I might get a touch medicinal on the palate and on the exhale, but um, there is definitely sweet sugar cookie yep. and and but usually, I've noticed when you have a medicinal flavor. There's a burn, and there it's definitely smooth. 
a, it's sti- a sting on the tongue is all I got. Yeah, I mean, there's something um, going there's down. There's definitely a lot of vanilla going on in there as well. Yeah. Um, it's going right on the cube for me. Yeah, it, it, and it will for me as, as, as well because as is, just from the first. Now, there's a theory that the first one is just to shock the senses, kill some of the of the nerve endings, go for the second one. So I'm doing the second one neat as well. Let me see where we go here. Mm. Uh, I could tell you right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's on the cube. on the cube. It's not as medicinal, and it's enjoyable. It's mm-hmm. but this isn't something that I would want to drink five of. Right, but maybe an after dinner drink. The, they get you get a little dessert. It goes to that great question of: Do you have to pay to get quality? And that question comes up a lot, and the answer is. No, not necessarily. There are some times, however, that you do. And there is, to I think, to this one, the very small batch, an idea of you get what you pay for. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes you can spend 33 bucks and you can be pleasantly surprised. Sometimes you spend 33 bucks and it's like, eh, I should have spent the 43 You know? But I want to go through, especially over the next couple months, man, finding deals. People have been drinking left and right. Of course, spirits have been up. Through the roof, there's a glut of beer, but spirits have been up through the roof. Wine's been up uh, extremely as well. So I want to go about finding some of those opportunities. I'm not sure if this is it. Well, as far as a blend goes, I mean, Redneck Riviera is so much better than this, I think. It is. But that's, that's an American whiskey. That's a different, yeah. it's a different thing altogether. It's only because this, this hits in that medicinal way. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I, don't, I, I don't, sometimes if it's on the nose and it's not on the palate, I can live. I'm, I'm fine with that. This is not. See, I'm, I have a little bit more ice, and maybe I left a little bit more water in my glass than you. I'm still getting the sweet notes from this, but the medicinal has, for the most part, subsided, at least on my palate. I'm going to give it a minute. I'm going to see where, where it goes. We'll get to the smoke in a second. I want to get back to the story out of Indianapolis, and I want to explain what it is. And this isn't just Indianapolis. This is what... Those in charge are doing to those not in charge. And now we're about to see those not in charge say, whoa, 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 we are in charge. So let's start with a the, with the premise. Um, I always favor the citizen. And the citizen is always in charge. So when doctors like Dr. Anthony Fauci give their advice, I don't get angry. I don't always agree with the man. And, and certainly I think that he sometimes likes to split the baby and tries to have it on, on, on all sides. Um, but I'm not angry with the dude. But he gives his medical opinion. That's fine. You give your medical opinion. It doesn't mean I take it. And it sure as hell doesn't mean that it's policy. So when it's the state health directors or the city health directors, they're not in charge. All they can do is give you a thought. The idea that they think they can dictate policy of what is open and what is closed, that's not going to fly. And I think Americans are starting to say, yeah, we're not okay with that. You know, when, when, some, uh, when, the, when the, state, the city health director of New York, of New York City, decides for New York when they can open and when they can close, no, nobody elected this woman. No one elected her. Right. You know? And then you get into, well, you elected the mayor and they can decide. And the answer is, well, maybe not. Because how do you follow any rule that goes against your ability to protect your family? If there was an executive order put forth by a mayor or by a governor that said you can't have a firearm, am I supposed to listen to that? Well, now we're supposed to listen to the idea that you can't open your business because health? 
What about the health of your family? Oh, well, you're not an essential worker. Ask my kid. They will tell you otherwise. Right. My kid thinks I'm totally essential. My kid knows the only way they get fed is if daddy is doing his thing. Right. So therefore, I'm essential. So this whole idea that that these these politicians or these health directors can somehow shut down a society. It's, we're starting to see America say, no, 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 no. So he, go back to this story from Indianapolis. Look at how ugly it all gets. First, they shut you down, you know, for your safety. And then they tell you how people can be open. This restaurant can open, but only with outdoor seating. And this retail establishment can open, but only with 25% capacity. Well, if one retail establishment holds 20 people, another retail establishment holds 100 people, that's a whole... Those are, those are different numbers. How do you even think of equating them? But with the restaurants, so they tell the restaurants they can only open with outdoor seating, but you don't have outdoor seating. Good news. You can apply for a permit and get outdoor seating. So first they tell you you can't have your business. Then they tell you the parameters by which you can have a business. And if you don't fit their parameters, lucky you, you get to beg to be able to fit into their parameters. If you want to know how violent (laughs) the, the authoritarian state is and how easy it is to get there, Indianapolis just proved it. Well... And this isn't a, a unique situation, what we're talking about in Indianapolis, but I want to throw out an example. Uh, 96th Street in Indianapolis on the, on the north side uh, of town. The south side of 96th Street is Marion County, Indianapolis. The north side of 96th Street, part of it is Fishers, right. Indiana. It's like any county line. It's like right. a story from Footloose. So you can go down ninety. this section of 96th Street... In northern Indianapolis, and the south side of the street can have a Ruby Tuesday sitting there, and they're forced to close. And right across the street, there can be a Chili's that's open. Now, if you are an employee of the restaurant that's closed, if you are the owner of, if it's a franchise restaurant, you're you're going to be livid because it's it's across the street. Right, they're open. They're allowed to to do business. You're not allowed to do business in Marion County. One of the places on, on that very street is called A to Z Cafe, Hawaiian Cafe. Food's actually better than I thought. It was my first time there. I pick, did a pickup from it uh, on, on Friday. And they did an interview that said, if we're 600 feet across the street, we're open. 600 feet that way. We're open and we're good to go and we're back in business. And, th- and so do we think that people from one county don't drive to the other county and somehow that's going to save us? That's the health conversation? Of course it's not the health conversation. We know this. The rational mind knows this. And this is where politicos are starting to see the pushback and they don't understand it. You cover Michigan. You're on the air. You're on radio in, in Michigan. Wham! Talk 1600. Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, does not, fingers Malloy, understand the people at all, and she's now telling people, well, I'm doing this for your health. I'm doing this to save you. Why won't you let me save you? That's her argument. Yeah, and it's we've, we've talked about this before on the show where it's, to me, it's a cowardly argument, and it's also um, an easy argument to make when the media's on your side. When you sit back and you look at the numbers and you're saying, listen, I'm just trying to save lives. That's not, I'm just trying to right. keep you safe. I'm siding on, on, I'm on the side of caution. Listen, people in Michigan, a lot of people who I follow on Facebook, who I don't consider political, I've got ties in Michigan, like you said, so I see this, 
they're getting angrier and angrier with her. You know, they, they had the stay at home order go through Memorial Day. Again, we've talked about uh, how businesses in upper the upper peninsula of michigan um they're starting to see the coronavirus uh, uh, impact up there but for weeks they were treated like metro detroit and metro detroit was a hot spot mm. so if your business is being destroyed in sault st marie michigan because the governor says you cannot be open and there are no confirmed cases in your county you're livid you're not detroit so we have these these cases where we're seeing how I think it's kind of stunned people that we shut down society and everyone did it. And they're, they, they, they don't know what that is. How could we have done this? I think there was a good scare tactic right from the beginning. And maybe partially because, well, they really didn't know what they were dealing with. Now it's 100% sure they don't know what they're dealing with. And I don't get mad at a doctor for this or a scientist. They don't know. I'm okay with them not knowing. That's not enough to force me to shut down. And now that everybody realizes that they don't know, we are the risk-tolerant society. We're not the risk-adverse society. And we're saying, okay, we'll take it into our own hands. We'll, we're good. We'll go to work. We'll do what we need to do as we need to do it, when we need to do it. And that, in and of itself, is the freer society. How could it be possible that the better move is to keep everything locked down? If there's a segment of society that wants to go out, and there's a segment of society that wants to take care of those people who want to go out, why not let them go out? Why not take care of them? It seems No so- one forces the other person out. This defeatist attitude about this virus, and again, I'm not downplaying the significance of this virus. It's very, uh, it's had a very se- se- uh, severe impact on the country. We've had thousands of deaths, but the way we've tackled this to me is so un-American. I keep flashing back to the '60s and. In JFK's administration, when he got up and he said, we are going to put a man on the moon and bring him back within the decade. We set a goal. We, we got behind the goal. We we're Americans. We're, we're, we're clearing hurdles. And we go from there to now we have people saying, well, we can't have anything open up in four months because of this virus. You've got the the mayor of Los Angeles, Eric Garcetti. Basically, he said he was on Good Morning America, saying, "Well, we may not fully open until we have a cure. A cure. We went from we're closing down for a couple of weeks to flatten the curve. To flatten the curve. To now we need a cure before we can fully reopen. And that's the line between freedom and authoritarianism. It's that. It's that simple." And I think that people like have a hard time saying it like that because they think that that's somehow, I don't know, an antiquated way to speak. What else is there? The, the very idea between you being able to live your life your way and not being able to live your life your way is Eric Garcetti moving the goalpost that we can't open until we have a cure. Could you imagine if we'd said that about AIDS? Could you imagine if we had said such a thing about we, we can't open society until we have a cure? Well, AIDS may not be as, as contagious or an, an easy of a contagion as COVID-19, but there's no value in that move. There's only fear in that move and desperation in that move. Well, and my question to the fine mayor is this, and I'm not saying the World Health Organization should be uh, the end-all, be-all, because they've been be wrong quite a, quite a bit, but there was a spokesman from the World Health Organization that said that earlier this week, there may never be a cure. This right. virus may be around forever. So, so I, to the mayor... Where where do you draw the line? And, and so I don't even want to go to the mayor. I want to go to the citizens. First, I remind them, like I reminded the people of New York, hardware stores are essential businesses, so you can always buy pitchforks. 
It's extremely, extremely important to know that. And, so, you know, people, I think, worry about saying, well, the people have to push back. I, I no longer do. Uh, I've watched. I've seen. I've made this argument. The people have to push back. No, we're not doing this. They have to open. They have to violate, if you will, these orders. But there's nothing to violate. The order in and of itself is unconstitutional. It cannot stand. And the citizen comes first. The citizen is always more important. The citizen always is, is the top of the food chain. Even when, when it comes to, to, to President Trump. There are people out there who still haven't gotten their stimulus check. What, what, what else do you have to do? Nobody should move. No one should do any work until every check is done. It should be you at the, at the desk at the White House with people bringing you checks and, and you signing them. Now, it's not usually sign them. It's, it's, it's right. Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary. So put him there. And that's all he does all day is sign checks and someone shoves a ham sandwich into his mouth at lunch. And, you know, and then he keeps on signing the checks and sign them until everybody gets what they're supposed to get. Don't tell us about anything else. Don't tell us about next round of funding, Nancy Pelosi. Three trillion dollar nonsense boondoggle garbage. You haven't been able to get to people what you said you would get to people. I don't have any problem saying that to President Trump. I'm not angry at the guy. But I know the deal, and he works for me. Why is that so difficult for people? Garcetti works for the people of Los Angeles, not the other way around. The, 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 the leadership here, I've already talked about the governor of Indiana, Eric Holcomb. Nice guy. Handled it terribly. I'm not impressed. We're going to have a phased-in approach? A phased-in approach based on what? There's no science to a phased-in approach. It's spitballing. Again, someone needs to explain to me, the hashtag science crowd, how if you are a bar with a kitchen, you can be open this week, but if you're a bar without a kitchen, you have to wait a week before you the open. The science crowd told me that this was no worse than the f- uh, severe strain of the flu. That was Dr. Anthony Fauci in the New England Journal of Medicine in January. Going on TV and discussing it in February. It was Nancy Pelosi in San Francisco saying, come on down to Chinatown at the end of February. It was in March and Bill de Blasio of New York saying, come on out and have some fun. What's, what science crowd are we talking about here? What, what are, they don't know anything. And, they, and again, not get mad at them. They didn't know anything. We went along. We wanted to make sure we knew what was going on. We now know what's going on. And locking down is not the answer. But that thin line... That razor-thin line, because you go back to Garcetti in Los Angeles, everyone has to wear a mask outdoors. You have to wear a mask. And the answer is no. When Costco says you have to wear a mask, or when Menards, a hardware Lowe's-type store, says you have to wear a mask, uh, your, your local whatever shop says you have to wear a mask, that's their business. They can make the decision. You don't have to go in. Right. Government can't force you to wear a mask. Government cannot compel me to wear anything. They can compel me to wear pants because they created a law uh, that says uh, it's, it's, it's lewd behavior uh, otherwise. Now, I don't know if they're even 100% right on that. I don't know if that can do. But culturally, we've accepted the idea that you wear pants. You can't be forced to wear a mask. And I'm not saying you should or you shouldn't. That's totally up to you. I don't wear a mask in public. Right now, I'm in a cigar lounge. We're in Smoker's Choice. No one is, no one is wearing a mask, mainly because you can't wear a mask while you smoke a cigar. Right. It's impossible. This is about the only place where uh, I have not worn a mask. And it's not because I think that uh, the government should force us to. Like you said, it's a personal decision. A lot of this feels like pandemic prevention theater. Uh, I wear a mask because when I go to the grocery store i've gone to costco i've talked to the cashiers at costco and you could tell that they're worried 
they're they're scared. Go, you know, what do they're they appreciate with at people work. wearing masks? I would think so. I I haven't you know talked to anyone asking them. Are, do, would you like customers to wear a mask? I just wear the mask because if it makes the employees at these stores feel a little bit safer that the customer they're dealing with has a mask on to me it's a small sacrifice because they're going through a lot think about it a lot of these retail workers are going to work they're considered essential employees and they're making less than someone who is on unemployment between the state unemployment and the $600 supplement from the CARES Act so they're going to work every day and now they just passed the Democrats did with 13 Democrats voting no uh, they voted for the Heroes Act, which will extend that six hundred dollars a week through January. Are we surprised by that, though? But in an election year, that was going to happen. And people are saying there's this weird, dumb meme going around that Trump should read off all the things that are in the Heroes Act behind the in the Oval Office and then rip it up like Nancy Pelosi did the, the State of the Union. Of course not. Of course, don't do that. What are you nuts? That's a terrible idea. Here's what you do. You go about not even paying attention to what Nancy Pelosi did and literally say this is no time for stunts. Lives are on the line. And anytime she speaks, you call her a liar. You say Nancy Pelosi is a dirty, no good, two-bit punk liar. It's exactly what you call her again and again and again and again. Nancy Pelosi lies. Nancy Pelosi lies. Nancy Pelosi doesn't care about you. Nancy Pelosi would rather eat ice cream than take care of you. That's who she is. And then you start working to make sure that the money you've put out there has already gotten out there. I'm just so sick and tired of them adding their little pet projects into what's supposed to be a coronavirus relief bill. Well, I mean, this one didn't actually have any green boondoggle in it, no. so that's a plus. But this thing was announced on a Tuesday, eighteen oh yeah Tuesday, eighteen hundred pages voted for on Friday. Who read it? Who even began to read it? Well, it, it, and so much of it was aid to the states, aid to cities, one which trillion dollars to the states and to the cities which you know would help uh make some state pension funds whole that's what that's all about yeah illinois california but the thing that i think americans can agree on this uh mayor garcetti whether this is true or not who knows uh he said that they've dipped into their emergency fund to try to ramp up testing in the city i think that americans for the most part would say, okay, we could treat this like hurricane relief. This is a huge crisis. If cities needed help with funding for testing, that's fine. I think you can get people to agree with yeah, that. Yeah, that's you're right. fine. But when you start talking about state bailouts and the, the United States Postal Service being bailed 25 out. $25 billion. That's where you lose a lot of Americans. I mean, it would be like the Republicans saying, hey, you know what, uh, this coronavirus relief bill, uh, we want the flat tax. And oh, by the way, we want uh, Social Security privatized, too. Flat tax. Are you trying to turn me on? That's, like a, that's a dream, Neil Bortz. A dream, I tell you. Exactly. But the thing is, people would say, well, what, if, what, the hell, what the hell does that have to do with the coronavirus? The same thing should be said whenever Democrats try to throw stuff so everybody, like that into a bill. So everybody understands that you take states like Illinois, you take states like New York, they have massive debt structures. And their debt structures come from pension liabilities, things that they promised government workers and money they're going to pay them for the rest of their lives. Absolute boondoggle stuff. So if you now take a trillion dollars... And you're now going to apportion that to the states and cities based on what? Population? You will find states like Illinois get a few billion dollars. What will be in place to ensure that that money is spent on revving up the economy 
and replacing quote unquote lost revenue. Lost revenue are taxes, by the way. Yeah. They could replace it by building, by letting businesses operate again, right. uh, but that it's going to go to actually helping those businesses and helping the, the, the economics instead of being put towards those pension liabilities. Place your bets. Place your bets on how many of those states are going to be like, well, we, 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 we had to shore up this money here and we've got a problem here. And how many are going to say, you know, we've really worked the numbers and the answer is we're going to need a tax increase. How many states, how many cities are going to go for tax increases this year because they won't cut a thing? Nothing is going to get cut uh, from them. Again, look how thin the line is. And I think someone had, had, had texted me. Yeah, I want to make sure I read it right. Someone had texted me yesterday the idea of what they think this means for uh, um, America. Um, was it Polly Shore? Was it Polly no. Shore? No. So I, I, it, was a, it was a discussion of uh, you know that, that article in the Wall Street Journal, mm-hmm. scenes from the class struggle in lockdown. Because people don't under- – the people who keep getting a paycheck, like journalists, they don't seem to understand that people who work for a living aren't able to feed their families. Right. And now, then last week, there were a whole bunch of articles about how journalists are being laid off, and this is a real problem. Isn't that always the way? Isn't that always the way? Now, by the way, I think when you don't have local journalists, I think it is a real problem because local is where uh, politicians learn graft, right? They, they, learn, they learn the grift. They, they learn how to cheat and steal and, and, and scam and do all of, all of the things. And so you've got to keep an eye on those people because otherwise it, it, it's your, it's, that's where they learn the, 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 the hatred. So uh, journalists... Being out of a job isn't actually what we want, but now that they're concerned, that's what's so hilarious. So, you know, I'm glad that Peggy Noonan, who wrote this article, got to the party, right? I'm glad uh, that uh, she she got there. Um, And what they wrote to me was there's a huge disconnect right now, meaning there's a disconnect between um, the people who still make their money by telling you you have to sacrifice and the people who aren't allowed to make a living who desperately want to. And that's part of ec- economic health is a part of health. We, to deny that is, is, is laughable. And they said it as there's a huge disconnect. And I asked, or is it a huge awakening? And I'm on the side of awakening that people are starting to get the idea that when Jefferson talked about the tree of liberty must be watered from time to time with the blood of tyrants and patriots, that that wasn't just talk, right? If if you take a look at Judaism, this whole story of Passover, you read from something called the Haggadah, and it says freedom isn't free. In every generation, it must be one anew. Not just talk. Legit serious stuff that happens to be true because there's this never-ending number of people who will immediately run to a fear corner and because they've gone there, you have to go there too. The authoritarianism taking place is because people who have decided that you should live in fear cannot accept the fact that you won't. Nothing angers the prisoner more than seeing the free man walking around. These people have made themselves prisoners to coronavirus. Not based on science, not based on anything else, based purely on fear. Garcetti's terminology is based on fear. Whitmer's terminology is based on fear. And yet there are people out there who are opening up their restaurants and people are going out and people are going to the beach and doing this thing. And it it, it angers. It it infuriates the people who are desperate to to wear, you know, their government-appointed gray garb and await further instructions. Well, the other thing, too, that... I think is starting to happen is who when something like this happens the media and the left have done a really good job of demonizing small business owners 
they consider them the rich. And so, the small business owners are the rich. Well, that, that's that's oh, how, that's, that's 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 how. Holy hell! That's the narrative, right? It's like, oh, you you oh, you've got your your business. You need to pay your people a, a living wage. Uh, so, the small business owner doesn't have the advocate that other people do. So, when you get a the CARES Act pass and people who were laid off get a six hundred dollars supplement, and yet the small business loans take forever to get you know the money gets uh it takes forever for them to get the the money out there to small business owners people don't seem to care but now we're starting to see faces being put on the small business owner like the the barbershop owner in owasso who's 77 years old and he's battling with the state of michigan right now and local officials to keep his to open his barbershop because he's saying look i'm not a rich guy i need to open my business and cut people's hair to to keep and this this is a, this is a big story now. This guy, this yes. barber, yes, just like Shelley Luther was in Texas. I have bills to pay. I'm not, just because I'm a small business owner doesn't mean I'm rich. My whole business could go under if I don't if I don't have the ability to open up. And so now you're starting to see the face of small business in this country, which I think is a very good thing. It's yes. making people realize that okay, these aren't one percenters; these are your neighbors. And and they're just trying to make a living, and they are just trying to make a living. And and by the way, I don't know if you can hear it. People are walking in here, like seeing long lost friends for the first time in forever. Just happy as hell. There are guys in in every corner drinking and and hanging out. And I, and I think distanced enough. As long as they're staying away from me, we're good. You know, <laughs> but they seem happy. And and, and in, in this room right now, you've got a mix of ages, uh, you've got a mix of colors. You have a mix of ethnicities, and everyone's just glad they can smoke a cigar. Everyone's just happy to be out. Everyone's happy to grab a drink. Everyone can't wait to get a cigar in. And it, this is what people want. And this, by the way, is, is normal. So when people say there's no going back to normal, what does that even what, am I, what does that mean? This is your opportunity to redevelop society. If society says you wear a mask at the, at the supermarket now, okay, that, that could be new. But somehow this should be taken away. People should be able to work and then utilize their dollars as they see fit to kick back with a cigar and see some friends and feel free. This somehow has to change. That's a ridiculous proposition. Well, it's a violent proposition. We're, we're all a lot of time. We're prisoners of the moment and we don't think about what free market innovations will happen down the road. When we talk about oh, society will be changed. Uh, things won't be, there's a new normal, but yet we don't take into consideration how businesses will adapt. And like, for instance, Golden Corral, the, the buffet chain. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, are listen, you already seeing what they're doing with the buffets in Vegas? I have not. That, those are done. The craps tables, though, and the, the, how they're putting the dividers in, as we have been discussing, it's unbelievable. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. Well, no, 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 you're fine. But, you know, I'm not a big buffet guy because I, you've seen so many of these viral videos. There's a, a viral video of uh, an older gentleman. It looks like in a, 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 a Trader Joe's or something. He walks up to a, an area where the, you can buy soup by the cup, and he just picks up the ladle, and he drinks right out of the ladle and puts the ladle back in. So I'm not a big buffet guy. But Golden Corral already recognizes, hey, you know what? Uh, people may not be excited to return to the buffets uh, once we reopen. They've completely changed their business model for the time being. They're serving food 
uh, the same food, but it's they'll not buffet keep, style But they'll keep anymore. bringing you plates. Yeah. It's not buffet style anymore. You you walk up, and I it may be cafeteria style, but... Oh! It, so you will not I don't know be, how... Okay. So, but they're going to reopen, and that's going to be the... So, businesses are going to adapt to this new normal. Thank, and, yeah. Th- no, they're not going to adapt to the new normal. They're going to adapt to the business conditions. Business... the. D- Every small business, every large business is defining and redefining who they are and what they do at the moment. If they didn't, Apple would still be making the 2C, right? Mm -hmm. They're defining and redefining, building and rebuilding. They're going. They're seeing where trends are. How do you think we got to the Impossible Burger? We got to the Impossible Burger, A, because we're all nuts, (laughs) but B, because people saw that there was a need. One of the people – you want to talk about one of the great uh, things I, I heard about? My rabbi, Rabbi Ben Sender, who I've done virtual bourbon with, which is a great, great series that you can catch on YouTube. We've got some more videos uh, coming out. Face, uh, YouTube.com slash Tony Katz TV for virtual bourbon. One of the things he has said to me is when Impossible Burger came out, he said it was the greatest thing he ever saw because finally, finally, he could have a cheeseburger because it's plant-based. Uh. There's no meat. So he gets the meat taste and he gets to have cheese on it because, you know, he's kosher and you can't mix milk and meat. Right. Holy cow. That's really, really cool. Yeah. But people want to try uh, this kind of thing. When romaine lettuce started having a real problem in America, and that real problem came because the people who were working in those, in those fields were utilizing the fields as restrooms. And that's where you were getting the, the, the diseases from and, and, and things like that. And there was a while, twice now it's happened, where you couldn't get romaine in America. Restaurants moved to doing Caesar salads with kale, which is a sin against nature. Don't get me wrong. Some of them haven't gone back because they found that it worked. So people engage trends and changes in culture, and then they adapt to them. That's not a new normal. That's taking a look at your situation and saying, how do I now adapt for survival and then survive? That's what smart people do. That is the capitalist way. That is the system of value. That's what matters. Every time you read one of these dystopian books, whether you're talking about 1984, whether you're talking about stuff from from Ayn Rand, you have people who would never be able to get past the candle. They wouldn't be able to get past the candle. How could you get people to agree to the light bulb if no one is given the opportunity to innovate and invent and take a look at the world and look at technology and say, how can I build upon this? What is the opportunity that I see? You think I'm bothered that people during coronavirus see opportunity? I'm hopeful that people see opportunity during this. So I don't accept anything about the very concept of, of the new normal. Every day is the new normal. Seeing new things and changing to, to those things. That's what you do. That's smart business. You're not calling it the before times and the after times I, like I am? I will punch you <laughs> in the neck. Uh, can we get back to this bourbon uh, really quick? Uh, this is uh, Jefferson's Very Small Batch, which is actually a mix of four Kentucky straight bourbons, 823 uh, proof runs about $33, $35 a bottle. And I'm telling you right now, not for me. You know what's really strange? No. No. You know what's really strange is when I put it on the cube, it took briefly to me, it felt like it took the medicinal away and it made it a little less sweeter. Now that it's been on the cube for a while, the medicinal is back and the sweet is gone. Oh, is it really? <laughs> yes, for me. It's just, it's not, I mean, hold on. I mean, I'll drink the rest of mine, 
but it's I don't think I'd ever order enough, another one. The nose is still actually quite lovely. Yeah. The nose works for me just fine. The taste doesn't. It it's that touch medicinal and it just it's got a sweetness, but that's it. It is a sweetness as opposed to being able to pick out what's in the sweetness. The nose when you point pink, when you mention sugar cookie, agreed. Yeah. That's a way of picking something out. That's good. And pairing is so important. This does not pair well at all with the cigar, I don't think. Well, this cigar is a monster. Yeah. This cigar is a monster. Let's get into that. So what we're what we're smoking is La Gloria Cubana. Now we're at Smoker's Choice in Brownsburg, which has one of the biggest humidors oh my gosh. I've, I've, I've ever seen in my life. The selection of cigars here is massive from all around. Now, I happen to like La Gloria Cubana, but I have made a mistake here. I've been smoking too hard, and I'm starting to get that ammonia taste, So, which means the scar is running too hot. So I'm actually waiting a little bit and giving it a little bit of time to, to, cool, to cool back down. Um, there's also, you can actually feel it in the middle, and you can feel the heat. It's a touch overhumidified for me, and so that could be adding to it, but I'm going to let it cool down. I actually like what La Gloria Cubana does. The Serie R is, is, a, is an excellent, excellent smoke. Um, this is uh, Nicaraguan. Um, in in uh, uh, the binder and the filler, it's uh, origin. It comes out of the Dominican, but the wrapper is an Ecuador Sumatra wrapper. This is a full-bodied cigar. This is a strong, strong pup. Now, this is the Presidente. So the Presidente... Um, is also a huge, huge size. It's seven and a half by fifty-four. So seven and a half refers to seven and a half inches long. T, and uh, fifty-four is the ring gauge. Uh, so sixty-four is a full inch around. So fifty-four is how thick it is around. T. It always makes them laugh. Uh, this this is a honker of a smoke. This is some big, big stuff. Um, and you got to give this some time to be able to get through all of uh, the the third. You're definitely get some pepper. In uh, the the beginning, there's a bit of wood in in the cigar. It's actually something that I do like in in in, in, a, in, a, in a smoke. Um, as it gets into the second third, um, which I got to admit, in when you get to these size cigars, I don't think the thirds go equal. I think the first third is actually shorter, and the final third is shorter. I think that that midline is really where a lot happens, and I think it happens for a longer uh, amount of of, of time. Um, Coffee and some and that pepper gets I think a little, a little spicier. Um, there's there's a bit of nut that goes on there. The wood kind of, of fades out. It's a big strong cigar. Now, what I like about this cigar is that you can find this smoke for somewhere uh, around um, eight nine dollars a stick, right? Which I absolutely love. They make one that I smoked the other day called the Spanish Press. I had never heard of it. I'd never seen it before. I actually picked up a couple. It's a box press. It's wonderful. Absolutely, positively wonderful. There will be a few of these in my humidor from now on. Fantastic cigar and eight ninety five. Wow. Eight ninety five. So it's a golf course cigar. It's an after uh, cigar. This is a cigar that you can mow the lawn with. This is a cigar that you can have um, before dinner or after dinner. It's a good midday uh, cigar. Share with friends. Everyone can enjoy it. I found it to have more sweetness than anything else to it on the Spanish press. This one, which is the La Gloria Cabana Colección Reserva, is the Presidente, which is that seven and a half by fifty-four. There's a lot. Of, it's just a. It's just a strong cigar. And part of it is I made a mistake in in getting it lit. I went. The draws were too fast, 
too hard, and I got I, I overheated it. Now it feels better, so I'm going to see where the second third really and truly does take me. I happen to like the brand. I happen to like what it is that that they do. Not everything, um, but this, like if I'm looking at this one, the Colección Reserva, I would rather have the Serie R. But this Spanish press, any day of the week, absolutely positively any day of uh, the week, going to enjoy the, the, the daylights out of this. And a cigar like this, when it's 7.5 by 54, straight cut it. Don't V-cut it. Don't punch it. Open it up. Let, let it do its job. I'm getting the wood and the pepper. I think this is a good Sunday evening on the deck cigar. I don't think you'd want to start your day with it. It's too strong. So this is the second time, third time. In, in our conversations where you started talking about starting your day with a cigar. You know, I don't do the breakfast cigar. And I'm actually, you know, lamenting the fact that next weekend, as we record this, would be the Indianapolis 500. Right. Which, if you haven't done it, you have to. 250, 300,000 people all in one spot. It's, it's a party like nothing else you've ever seen in your life. And, when I, and I don't do morning cigars, but I, because of my radio gig... I do the pre-race. So we start at 5 a.m. We do a six-hour bit of coverage because the race is not televised in Indianapolis. So they listen to it on radio. And my station, which is called WIBC, is the home of the race and has been for a bajillion years. And it's incredible how they call the race and everything else. And everybody tunes to the radio and tunes it in. And it's this great bit of, of legend and pageantry. And it's, it's a pleasure to be, to be a part of. But one of the things I do, I get to the track at 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. And before, and it's quiet, and people are setting up and everything else, and I'm able to walk myself almost onto the track and light up. And last year, I was in the winner's circle. That's beautiful. I was, I was there, and, and right above it, there's this platform where they, they sing back home again and everything else, and I'm smoking a cigar. It's a tremendous feeling. It's still cool and everything else, and it's great. But I rarely ever do a morning cigar. Mm-hmm. This is the second or third time you, Fingers Malloy, have mentioned you wake up and you smoke a cigar. When, is, is this because of coronavirus? Because uh, basically you've been home? Well, that and now that I have really started diving into cigar smoking, I smoked them in my 20s, but n- never to the point where I had a, a humidor at home. I'd grab one you know, when I felt like I wanted to have a smoke. But one of the great things about uh, doing a podcast that so much of it is involved cigar smoking is involved in the podcast it's given me a new appreciation for cigar smoking and also i i always associated cigar smoking to me was either golfing and and drinking having started doing the show you have opened my eyes to pairing cigars with coffee and i smoke my cigars outside i don't smoke them in the house so a lot of times, if I know it's going to be a rainy day in the afternoon, it's going to rain in the evening, but I know I want to smoke, I'll go out in the morning with a morning coffee and have a cigar. I don't want a really, really strong cigar in the morning with my coffee. I want a mild cigar, start my day with that and a coffee. Right. That's why I said to me, this this, this smoke that oh, we have no. right now, I don't think you want to start your day now, with this. stick. No, what's weird is, is that it would actually, with some of the notes in there, it might not pair poorly with coffee. But right. it, depending on the time of day, right. things, I actually have a coffee. Now, embarrassingly enough, I picked it up. It's an Americano from Starbucks, mm-hmm. which usually is just fine. As a coffee, it's just fine. Pairs with this like crap. Really? French press. 
is I think what you would need here. Mm-hmm. Get those oils and everything else to to come along with with this cigar, and you might have a very de- yeah. I'm, it's it's unfortunate because I have come to love the cigar and 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 coffee pairing, and I'm trying different coffees, and I'm trying more the Kenyans, and I'm trying you know some some Yerga chefs, which are a little fruitier uh, in in that way. I usually like a deep rich. I like diner coffee. Right, that that dark, rich kind of kind of kind of stuff. Um, but you try it with different things to to get to where it, it's it's at. So no, it's not pairing with this coffee. But mm-hmm. I think it would pair with a with a richer, uh, full bodied coffee. I could see that. But when you go to the track, and you're finding yourself smoking a cigar at three o'clock in I the morning, I don't care. I don't. Oh, care you don't care about the strength of the of the cigar at all because it, 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 it's it's just a different. Thing it's yeah. you're you're awake differently, mm-hmm. right? You didn't just wake up, stumble out of bed, pour yourself a cup, and then head out to the deck. You had to drive out when you're parking in like in like a field. You're you're walking basically right. a mile right. to, get to, to right. get to the track, you know, and 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 then it's just taking that moment to to yourself. So I. You know, it's it's not about just sitting there for an hour in one place. Sometimes you're then walking back and getting yourself ready. And you're still having the cigar, so it's just a different a different place to be. But uh, the deck is different, right? Your, your, yeah. your back deck is 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 a different story. Yeah. Uh, so during this whole pandemic, yes, so many of us have been forced to stay at home for a variety of reasons, right? And it's becoming more and more clear that many Americans have too much time on their hands. <laughs> I got to tell you something. <laughs> there is a Facebook group right now, Tony. And this is from uh, uh, NBC News. A million people are pretending to be ants, not like your, your, your Auntie M. No, the, the insect. A million people are pretending wait, wait. to be ants. How do you pretend to be an? Are they furries? Like they're doing? They're dressing up in the? No, they're just doing it on Instagram or on on Facebook, uh, and they're claiming that it's it's therapeutic. Okay, uh, for some reason, these people get a big kick out of it. The person who who started this Facebook group said, since the beginning of March, a group is pretending to be ants in an ant colony, and it's grown from a hundred thousand members to more than one point seven million people. On Facebook. Okay, so they don't think they're ants. They're just bored and they think it's weird. Right. The concept is simple. Members of the ant group post photos and videos about being ants. They live to serve their fictional queen and find her food, such as crumbles, candies, and ice cream. Members write comments like lift, munch, and link as they pretend to be ants. 1.7 million people. We are a weird, weird country. But that's actually how I know everything's going to be okay. Because people are finding ways to keep themselves entertained. And, and thankfully, it's, we, we've done away with the celebrities trying to sing to us and, and, and make us feel better. If someone wants to belong to a ridiculous group and it gave them some little smile, fine by me. Well, is this any sillier than, what was that app a couple of years ago that people went crazy about where they were walking around uh, and they were... Was it Pokey? Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go. Did you Pokemon Go? I, I, I did to see what it was. Of course I did. And then I deleted it. So My kids have it. It's, I guess it, this isn't any sillier than Pokemon Go, except you're not getting the exercise. <laughs> right? <laughs> but pr- uh, taking a video of yourself pretending to be an ant? No, man. I, 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 think it's, I think it's cute. 
I think it's absolutely positively cute. There is something that we discussed before I wanted to get back to, which was the very idea of the numbers on coronavirus. Because this is where the next great conversation is going. And you're already seeing the fallout on this because you have Dr. Deborah Burks, who is in charge of White House response, right? And Dr. Anthony Fauci, who runs infectious diseases. By the way, Dr. Deborah Burks is also Colonel Deborah Burks. This woman has got a history and a story. Incredible stuff. There's a question about whether the coronavirus numbers are too high or the coronavirus numbers are too low. Now, I'm in the camp that the coronavirus numbers are too high. It is not that people may not have gotten or have gotten coronavirus. It's that when you take a look at the number of people who have died from coronavirus, the comorbidity numbers, right? We've talked about this before. Well, now this is becoming a big story. Did you die from coronavirus or did you have an underlying health condition and then you got coronavirus? In Illinois, I don't know if it's our health director or somebody else has said, if someone has coronavirus in their system, we count it as coronavirus. In Colorado, they just brought down the numbers of the people who have died from coronavirus because they actually died from something else. They've added presumptive positives into the numbers in New York of coronavirus. That's not science. So this goes along the line of how are we supposed to trust if we don't if we can't even be honest about what's really happened here? The trust thing, man. That's really where the rest of this goes. Well, I was really hoping you were going to talk about this because I listen, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but there are troubling stories starting to surface about how states are tabulating their numbers. There is a story out of Colorado where a man was found dead on the floor. The coroner, local coroner, did an autopsy. He had a blood alcohol content of 0.55. Oh, wow. 0.55. So that's a, that's a lot of drinking. Also, he had tested positive for the coronavirus. The coroner listed his death as acute alcohol poisoning. The state said he died because of COVID-19. Okay. Well, there, there, there's a, a world-class example. That's clearly not dying of coronavirus. And the and the the little coroner is pushing back, saying this is this is ridiculous. You should not be saying that he died of COVID nineteen. So then you start putting on your conspiracy theory hat, and you start questioning: Do states get more funding? Are they anticipating getting more funding based on how many people died of the coronavirus? Is that why they're mischaracterizing it? Are they mischaracterizing numbers because they want to continue to keep these stay-at-home orders intact? The trust conversation is this conversation because I don't think it's deniable anymore that there is way too much of the political and media class that wants to keep this going so it hurts Donald Trump and for the re-election. They want to keep the numbers up. They want to build on this. They want to build on the fear. They want to build on the lockdowns. They want to build on this idea of we can't do anything until there's a cure. Because, absolutely positively because, they want it to hurt Trump come November. And, you know, we've discussed it before. I don't know how it's even deniable 
that that's the case. Now, this isn't a question whether or not you like Trump, whether you think he's done a good job, you think he didn't do a good job. That's that's fine. That's that's a totally legitimate point of view. Back it up. Knock yourself out. But if we are adding people to it, there's one of two things. One could very well be the money. Whether or not there's some money thing that happens if you've got more people who have died of coronavirus. The other one is it's absolutely political. And that's where the trust conversation comes into play. And the lack of trust that people have more and more, that's why I discuss it as an awakening. Because first they realize exactly how um, the, the, the thin line between freedom and not. The thin line between freedom or not is beyond thin. It's, 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 it's translucent, right? You could, you, you could see right through it. And it's so easy to dip to the other side. We just saw it happen. We saw it happen. We, we lived it. And I, and I think people said, yeah, this isn't for us, right? So you've got that. And then, you, well, how am I supposed to trust anything that comes out when you're, you're making it up? You're making it up. What, what's the value? What's the point? What's the good? What, how does it actually help any of us? And it only the, the answer is... Not that we're going to debate the answer. The answer is the only reason that happens is because there is a political opportunity that is gained. And we've heard Speaker Pelosi talk about this and others. We see media going down this road. It's political opportunity. And I think that for a lot of people, and I've spoken to plenty of people who are more on the left than I am, because <laughs> I'm not on the left. Right. Um, and and they're like, I can't believe what I'm seeing. I, there, there's a woman I know who said to me the following. I have donated to these legal funds my whole life. The ACLUs of the world and other legal groups. And why aren't they talking about how wrong these lockdowns are? We all know it's wrong. Why aren't they leading the charge on this? Why are they? Why are they silent? Why aren't they on the side of a barber in Michigan right. who wants to open his shop? Is any, are we going to notice not that they've been quieter. They have been quiet. Are we not going to notice this? Well, I think we should notice it. And there's only one answer you can get to. Well, I find it disturbing that... We can't unite around coming up with a plan to reopening our economy as soon as possible. Things are so politicized and so divided now. I never thought I would think this, but I'm, I, I thoroughly believe that there are people in this country rooting to see higher numbers in Georgia based on the fact that they reopened the country. They, they reopened their state. And what happened? They didn't go up. Right. And and Florida? And same thing. <laughs> but don't you feel like there's a certain segment of America that was hoping, secretly hoping that those numbers would spike to be able to say, "Aha, I told you. You guys are all wrong." And if that's the case, we are permanently divided as a nation that you could root for your fellow Americans to get sick. They are rooting for their fellow Americans to get sick. They are rooting for these people politically to be wrong because it's Brian Kemp, a Republican in Georgia, and Ron DeSantis, a Republican governor in, in Florida. And Florida matters a lot to the general election and the presidential election. They're absolutely... Now, 
is it possible that some of these cases could go up? Texas, some cases have gone up. It's Of course it's possible. They did a, a, an antibodies test here in the state of Indiana. And they, they, you know, they extrapolated it out, and they found that 11.8% or, I'm sorry, 11 times of the population has coronavirus than they've reported. 11 times already have it, and 48% of them were asymptomatic. Now, I have no issue with testing. Testing is just not a panacea. You can, if you were to test everyone in America today, no saying what they'll get tomorrow. So now we're going to test everyone in America every day until when? Until what moment is low enough that you say we can reopen? For some, it's apparently it's a cure. And for some, apparently it's a cure that's never, ever going to come. Now, don't get me wrong. Gilead Sciences has got remdesivir. Pfizer says they can have a cure on an emergency basis in the fall. Other companies have discussed the fact that they're going to be able to have a cure. Great. One of the things that's unsung, my gosh, the medical advances in the past four months have been stunning. They've been absolutely positively stunning. If you want to talk about where people have rallied around, that entire science world has rallied huge to figure things out and figure out the spike proteins and figure out how how these things connect to others and what can be done uh, about it. But they don't have a cure yet. But the science has just been incredible. And that's something that's been really admirable and really cool to see. You know, it's like uh, we we talked about this. Uh, Dr. Fauci supported the idea of... Uh, financially uh, supporting uh, the Wuhan Virology Lab, right? Now, there is nothing wrong with the U.S. supporting labs, even if they're in other nations, because they all work together and they share the science. That's what the World Health Organization is supposed to do and they don't do, which is why Dr. Tedros and the rest of them have to go, because they didn't do their job. We caught you not doing your job and we need you to do your job, so you're out. I don't want to hear your, your, your talk. There's nothing wrong with being supportive of labs. There's something wrong with being supportive of a lab in China. Right. There is the difference, right? It's, it's that the, the China conversation is a big one. And since they cannot be trusted, you cannot financially support them. That doesn't mean you shouldn't support some lab in France. Support a lab in France. Knock yourself out. Support American labs, but support a lab in France. It's totally fine. You can't support a lab in China because the lies are real and true. But there, it is no doubt that people are rooting for more cases in Georgia. They, so they can say, see, we told you. Why do you want to say, see, we told you? Wouldn't you rather that cases went down? Right. Wouldn't you rather that even with things opening up, things went down? Cuomo, Governor Cuomo of New York, was complaining that even with the, with the lockdowns, they were still getting 600 cases a day. He couldn't believe it. Well, dear Lord, this virus is not normal. This virus is a real bugger. This virus is very contagious, but not everybody dies from it. Right. Not everybody even gets sick uh, from it. And shutting down society clearly wasn't the answer. It, didn't, it did not help. And there's not a data point that you can show that shutting down society did anything. Maybe social distancing did something. But there's no data point that shows that shutting down society did something. Which goes back to the beginning of this podcast where we talked about the separation between the, the people who are at home, either working or in, in the media, they're still collecting their paycheck versus, you know, people who are just trying to go to work, try to keep their businesses afloat. And there's that disconnect. I do not understand how we've gotten so polarized that the idea of trying to figure out the quickest way to reopen the country is somehow now political. It's just disgusting to me. 
to to be able to sit back and 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 say uh, I'm collecting my paycheck. Everyone else should stay home too. When small businesses, we've we've heard stories repeatedly locally where people who have sunk twenty, thirty, forty years of their lives into a business and it's being destroyed by the the stroke of a governor's pen. We should be able to unite and say, okay, how can we figure out how to keep our most vulnerable protected as best as possible while still making sure that that person is able to keep their business alive? You talk about JFK and, and sending a man to the moon. This is, not, this is not the country at the moment that could actually do it. No. The, we, you talk about – could you imagine trying to build the Hoover Dam today? <laughs> Have you ever been to the Hoover Dam? Yes. It is an engineering marvel. The thing is unbelievable. It frightens me to no end. Did it. Could not look over the side. I, lo- I lose my legs. I am, I, I, I'm a wimp. Fine. Okay. Laugh at me. Knock, yourself, knock yourselves out. But I can't. I cannot, cannot do it. But you couldn't build the Hoover Dam today. You couldn't build the Hoover Dam today because they would tell you about the impact to some algae – Right, and therefore you can't have this thing that has quite literally revolutionized so many parts of the Southwest. The Empire State Building could it be built in in eleven months as as it was. Eleven months. Well, look how long it took them just to rebuild the, the, the build the Freedom Tower. It took forever. So I have come to a half understanding of that. If you really had to take the time to sift through every bit of rubble of the site of, of 9-11, of the Twin Towers, to make sure that you got every last piece of someone's life. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. And if that took really three years, which it may have taken, and, now, and the number could be more or less, I'm fine with that. But once you were like, okay, that thing should have been built in 11 months. Right. 11 months. And I am one of these people that said it did take too long. Now, have you, have you seen it yet? Have you been there? No. Okay. It's, it, is, it is a stunning and frightening and incredible sight where the two towers were and the, the pools that they have there and what's known as the Oculus, which is basically this mall that exists underground in that area and the steel that you still see. It's incredible and worth going on in when you can go back to New York, which is so kind of... You want to talk about where the economic impact is going to be. Vegas will come back. All these places will come back. New York's going to take a long, long time. Yeah. Because people are going to have a real aversion to going to New York. That part is true. You take a look at the deaths in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, what's known as the tri-state area. They account for almost half the deaths as of this moment in the United States. 85,000 deaths. They account for about 40,000 of the deaths. You shut down a whole country for 45,000 deaths? That's insane. That's not rational. And then you cheer more cases and not less. And the answer is, well, it's the politics of play. It spells itself out so easily. And when we talk about great, when I talk about Great Awakening, this is what people are seeing. They're seeing it regardless of their political stripe, and they're saying this can't be right. They're not even just, they're not even thinking of it politically because they haven't gotten themselves to that moment yet, right? Sometimes you're on you you wonder how someone thinks what they think and why don't they ever ask themselves a question? Why don't they ever go over? It? Why don't they discuss it? And sometimes it's hard for them to because if they really start getting into it, they might realize they've been wrong. And how do you go your whole life thinking one thing and then realize you're wrong? That's hard for people to do. So instead, what they're asking themselves is, is that this can't be right, can it? How can we do this? Now, that, what that leads to 
is people talking. That leads them to asking themselves questions. That leads to changes. This woman saying to me, I supported the ACLU, and they said nothing. How could you say nothing? These business owners, I don't know the politics of Shelley Luther down in Texas who opened her salon, and the judge said, I'm going to throw you in jail unless you apologize. And she said, I'm opening and I'm not apologizing. She threw her in jail for two days, and it was the governor, Greg Abbott, and the, and the AG, Ken Paxton, who got her out. And I thought she showed great restraint by not telling the judge to get bent. Right. I'm not going to kiss your feet to get out of this. You're wrong. The state is wrong. And that so Orwellian was that maneuver from the judge. He said, you, if you have to apologize for being selfish. Kneel before Zod. Right, kneel before Zod. So absolutely Chinese and, and North Korean in, in, in your forced apology, like what they did to Otto Warmbier. Right? That's what that was. And we saw it happen. We witnessed it happening. And people are saying, whoa, this can't be who we are. This cannot be who we are at all. So now we're going to watch. We're going to watch where this awakening takes America. And we're going to watch the people in California. And we're going to watch the people in, 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 in New York where they're already going to beaches and stuff like that. They're saying, screw it. And the people in the rest of the country, the, our great Midwest and other parts of the country say, no, 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 no. We can't have this. Well, who would think that Elon Musk would have, would have been, people are calling him a patriot for saying, you know what? I've had it. I've had it. You know what? My plant is opening up tomorrow. And I will be sitting there, and if you arrest anyone, arrest me. But enough is enough. We need to reopen. So he wants to reopen Tesla because he wants to build Teslas. He builds them in California, which he has to stop doing, by the way. So they, have, they finally acquiesced and are letting them build. But what he said is that this is enough. This is ridiculous. I'm moving my stuff to Texas and to Nevada. And a woman by the name of Lorena Gonzalez, Ugh. who is a state assemblywoman who wrote this bill, AB5, which ended the gig economy. It said if you're not a W-2 employee, you can only do like 30 hours, and then that's it. So if you're somebody who wrote for a website, you're at, you can't have a job. If you're somebody who was in the catering business, you can't have a job. You, know, you, did, you did a side gig bartending a couple weekends a month, and you made yourself some cash. Can't do that anymore. She ruined the economy, destroyed it. She wrote a tweet that said, F Elon Musk. She wrote it out. And he wrote back and said, duly noted, basically is what he yeah. said, right? Message received, I believe, yeah. is exactly what he yeah. said. He's absolutely right. Now, he's got the dollars to be able to tell anybody to kiss off. And sometimes you do need that. It's harder for a Shelley Luther who doesn't have the dollars and said, oh, sorry, I have to do this. This barber in, in Michigan. We're going to start hearing other stories. You're going to see restaurateurs doing it all over the place saying, no, 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 no. I'm opening and I'm opening in the place and you're going to have to come arrest me. And police... They're going to have to ask themselves if they do this. There are some sheriffs who are like, I'm not enforcing stay-at-home orders. I'm just not doing it. It's simply not who we are. I refuse to enforce those orders. And they're right. You do not have to follow a, an immoral and unconstitutional order from a, a governor or a mayor. You don't have to follow it. Well, that's the next step, right? As California starts to reopen in certain counties, which, by the way, I think we have been talking about for a long time that we didn't want this one-size-fits-all. It doesn't make sense for a county way far away from Los Angeles that's not seeing the kind of numbers that Los Angeles is seeing to have to shut everything down. But now you're starting to see stories come out of California where businesses are being able to start to reopen a little bit, where there are complaints that the businesses aren't following social distancing. So... 
what's the next step? Are you going to have <laughs> raids where police are going to come in and with tape measures right. walking around saying, oh, there isn't enough social distancing here. We're shutting you down and we're taking your license away. Is that the next step? Are the American people going to put up with this? My answer is no, they are not. Some are, and they'll stay home, and they'll await further instruction. And they're the ones who will yell and scream that you're trying to kill my grandfather when you go out to this fantastic cigar lounge, Smoker's Choice in Brownsburg, Indiana, or you go to a restaurant, or you go anywhere else. They're gonna, they're, that's exactly what they're going to say. And, and it's, you know, it's this, whole, this, this line about prisoners actually came from my brother, the good Dr. Katz. It's amazing how much it angers the prisoners to see other people walking free. They can't believe that you're not listening to them. They can't believe that you are not doing what they tell you to do. And they hate you for they hate you for being free. Yeah. They hate you for acting on it. And notice I said being free. I didn't say being irresponsible. You wear a mask when you go to the supermarket. I do not. My wife does. You're being responsible. Maybe I'm the one being irresponsible. Maybe I see it as I don't think they have, while I don't disagree with the concept of a mask if you're sick, they don't yet have the argument to be made that the masks are being worn properly. You talk to nurses like I have. I go visit hospitals. I do food drops for hospitals. Every week I do this. Uh, And um, they'll tell you the biggest problem they have is that people who wear masks are inappropriately. Absolutely. And now you're having, you know, I referred to it earlier as pandemic prevention theater. Now you have companies. Wait, wait, what did you call it? Pandemic prevention theater. Oh, that's awesome. That's what it is. You have a company now that's going to start selling masks with a hole. In the middle of the mask, <laughs> so you can either smoke your cigarette or drink. Now, you talk to a healthcare professional, and they're going to do just what you did right there. Roll their eyes. Because so many Americans who are wearing masks now are contaminating them within 2.4 seconds because they're putting their hands on it. Right. You know, I think that the mask is good to remind you not to touch your face. But as soon as you touch that mask... You've contaminated it. I brought it up last week where you've got a YouTuber walking around in casinos. He said, okay, they're allowing you to wear, you have to wear a mask in the casino, but if you want a drink, if you want to smoke, you just pull up your mask and he goes underneath his chin, pulls (laughs) up the mask, takes a drink and puts it back down. It's theater, right? Okay, if if you're telling me it's reminding you not to touch your face, okay, I get it. But these masks are not going to prevent you from getting sick, especially if you're not using them properly. That's... That much is true. That much. That's Fingers Malloy, by the way, and you can catch him at fingersmalloy.com. Uh, you can find me at tonycats.com and on Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, Twitter, and Instagram, Tony Katz. Uh, I'm glad Smoker's Choice was open. You, and you got to check out the humidor here. If, 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 if you're in this, if you're here this way, it's just the most giant thing you ever saw in your life. It is amazing. So my thanks to, to Smoker's Choice. Uh, you can find them at smokerschoicecigarbar.com. I didn't mention Fanimation, our fantastic uh, sponsor, ceiling fans that are just gorgeous and ready for you wherever you are, uh, for your living room, for your family room, indoor, outdoor, LED lighting, whisper quiet, incredible motors. Nathan has been a huge supporter of this podcast, Nathan Frampton, and what they've done at Fanimation. Absolutely love it and love that they're with us. And uh, they build great products, and they've still been going. 
and you know dealing with uh, this and supply chain stuff and everything else, and they're still going and still building, and I'm thrilled thrilled for them and i'm thrilled that you have supported them fanimation fanimation.com is where you go fanimation.com and get that ceiling fan passport uh, by name and don't forget to subscribe eat drink smoke apple podcast write the review leave a five-star review uh you know we've had to because of timing and everything else skip a skip a week here and, and there i'm looking forward to getting back to regular <laughs> regular life and things that aren't so much coronavirus related but now that we're really getting into this this liberty conversation and the cultural conversations, I got to admit, uh, while there are definitely people who want to see you get hurt because it helps them politically, I am very curious to see where people go and see these kinds of growth conversations that people are having about, wait a second, this isn't what we're supposed to be. This isn't how we're supposed to do things. This isn't supposed to be the way it is. This is a mistake. That's exciting to watch, and I'm looking forward to seeing more of it. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. That's Fingers Malloy. I'm Tony Katz. This is Eat, Drink, Smoke.